0: Hello everybody, two long away trips this week, so thank you for everyone who got in touch. Hartley Pool away, we just had the one, so thank you to Zach Homer. He wrote, given the circumstances, a very good performance and result. Sass Davis, a blatant red, but he was fouled beforehand. Tactical masterclass of Martel with the red being so early on. The ref today would rival Salisbury and Rock for worst refs we've ever seen. Moving on to Saturday and the trip to Portsmouth, we'll start with Mr B, who thought it was an awful performance. Aunt Copeland said it was always going to be a tough game, but was a poor performance as well. Julie wasn't expecting anything from the game as she listened on the radio. Vicky thought crew were battered, but enjoyed her day out nonetheless. A few people given a reason for the poor performance. Our own Aaron Lewis thinks it will take time for this new team to gel. A thought echoed by Peter Sandland, who says this new team never got into the game. Keith wants to make sure we don't lose any more, and those players still here need to gel quickly. Andy Kinnear thought crew looked like a team who had had all the quality ripped out, but did mention the crew support as immense. As did Tom Mail, who said the crew fans were in good voice, but the team was overrun. We had lots of messages about the midfield in particular being overrun. Richard Judson thought they couldn't get a foothold and that starved the attack for any service. Jonathan Ditt goes along with this and thinks Murphy, McDonald, and Lundstrom is too negative. Ryan Haywood makes the same point and says those three together are too slow and lack creativity. Our own Tim Robinson thinks we need to find a way to get Aimley, Finney or Lowry into the midfield three. Andrew picked out McDonald and said he spent more time on his backside than on his feet. Max thought it was the sloppiest crew performance he'd seen in a long while. We'll finish with Graham Miles, who had one positive. He thought Long was good when he came on. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Railway Men podcast. Crew have had two long away trips this uh, last week and our panel is split to discuss both of those games. Firstly, it's unusual as we're still in August and he's still well into his cricket season. Um, But we have him on to talk about his trip to Hartlepool. It's Alex Arani. Hi, Alex.
1: Good day to you, Stuart. How are
0: you doing? I'm all right. How is your cricket season going?
1: Uh, The less said the better.
0: Fair play. Um, We also have two panellists who made the trip down to Hampshire on Saturday, Russ Fern and James Tate. Hi, you guys. Hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon, chaps. Glad to have your way days back, guys. It's nice to be
2: back, isn't it? Something to do on a Saturday. Really missed it, even if it's just a bit of routine and it's going miles for no reason. It's brilliant.
3: Yeah, it's it's something beautiful about going for so far away to lose 2-0 be thoroughly miserable about it and then we're all going to do it again when we go to Charlton. Fair enough um, we'll start with Hartlepool though
0: um, Alex um, now you might be aware it's not an eye follow it's not an eye follow for anyone this year including people who live abroad so I've only seen the highlights uh, I think it's probably best if you just take us through your day or well, my actual day out, or do you want to just hear some analysis about the game? Whatever you think is pod-worthy, Alex.
1: Mm. The, well, the full day, it sort of went wrong to start with when it's quite a long journey from London to Hartlepool. It's a nice little three-hour, ten-minute train. Um, and I had problems on the tube, so I was very much rushed at Marks and Spencers. Uh, so I ended Ooh. up with a bottle of rosé wine and two large bottles of Cobra for this mm-hmm. trip up. Um, which set the tone for the, for the 24 hours in Hartlepool, really, because there's not much to do apart from sort of get on it. Um, so, yeah, I got into Hartlepool. Uh, the game itself, when I saw the team, I didn't mind the team. I thought it was good to see some of the new faces in. You know, McDonald got a start. Nice to see McFadden at left back. Um, and then, uh, obviously, Billy Sasser centre her off. It's always good to see a young kid get a go. Um, I didn't really see the goal... Uh, the, the red card, uh, no, I saw the red card, I take that back, but everyone was going on about this foul in the build-up where he got tugged. Um, I didn't see that, but by the time I looked up, I just saw their striker running through and sort of Billy Sass hauling him back. Now, at the time, when you're 10 minutes in, you're almost like, do you know what? Just roll the dice, let him go through on goal. If he scores, he scores, but you've got 80 minutes against a side in the division below. And, you know, six weeks ago, there were two divisions below to, to get back into it. I thought it was somewhat of a rash decision, but he, he did it. Um, Daniels came on and was superb. Now, for a man who had a shocker on the Saturday before, by all accounts, uh, I've seen the assist for the Cheltenham equaliser. Uh, he was excellent. He was commanding. He was on the cover. Imanov had dovetailed quite nicely at center arms. and they were well protect- protected in the second half, particularly by McDonald. Um who even got a really good assist. Well, would have been an assist if Dale had scored the original shot, but he had the presence of mind to look up and actually pick Dale out in the middle, as opposed to just, you know, swinging one in. Um, so I thought McDonald did well. It was a it was a good performance in the sense of when your backs are to the wall, you're not going to be able to play this free-flowing, expansive football. You've got to find a way that works for you um, to get that result. And they did. I thought the subs were spot on from Artel. Uh, long, long, was obviously the unlucky party of the Billy Sass sending off. I'll stop calling him Billy Sass. I'll either call him Billy or Sass Davis. I don't know where this hybrid's come from. Um, apologies. Um, but Long, Long was obviously the unfortunate one to suffer. Um, but Dan, Daniels, as I said, was excellent. And Mandron came on at half-time for Porter, and that's quite important. Because when you've got 10 men, you need you need a mobile front man to really occupy the centre half. So when you break, you're able to break a pace, which you can do with Mandron with Dale, with Ainley. So it was a job well done uh, in terms of grinding out the result. Hartley Paul didn't create much for a side. They tried to work a side-to-side, which you do with 10 men. You put the running in their legs and you try and sort of pick them off for 20 minutes to go. But they just didn't have any quality in the final third. So when they were getting it, when they shifted the ball wide-to-wide, got in a decent crossing position, there was just a lack of quality with that final ball which meant it was quite easy for us to defend. And we never really looked like conceding. Obviously, the board goes up for five minutes and everyone's heart hits their mouth and you're thinking, here we go again. But we saw it out with relatively, relatively little alarm. Uh, Honourable shout-outs to the 2 fullbacks. I thought came came Ramsey I was very impressed with. And you can just see, you've got the mannerisms of what I think will be a decent acquisition for us um, and actually a very sound replacement for Perry. And I thought McFadstein did quite well. I know obviously, Sunderland fans thinks he's the worst thing to have, Graced planet Earth. But sometimes he's at a club now, which is similar to the size of clubs where he's flourished. And I'm hopeful that will continue to be the case for us. Uh, after the game, I strolled into the Irish bar, as you do O'Malley's. I spoke to a couple of chaps, said I was meant to meet someone in Hartlepool. We were going to meet up so we haven't seen each other for 18 months. He got COVID. So now I'm here by myself. They felt sympathy for me. So I then had some drinking partners. I then took them to Jack's bar and yeah, I don't really remember much, but I've got, like, I think someone stubbed a cigarette on my wrist at some point. Uh, I don't know if it was accidental or on purpose, um, but that's pretty much what I've got to show for my uh, 24 hours in Hartlepool. The annoying thing was the direct train back was, like, 12.55 on Wednesday afternoon, so I had to hang around in Hartlepool <laughs> in the morning, and there's not a whole lot there. And there's it's not the most diverse place, I'd say, so I did get quite a few looks.
0: Well, they have been known to hang foreigners, haven't they? That's uh, where the old... Uh... That where monkey hangers come from, yeah. They thought it was a Frenchman, but it was actually a monkey. Um, but you know,
1: yeah, so yeah, that was it. Would I go back to Hartlepool? Yes, I think on a Saturday for a night out, it could be it could be class. Um, but you probably want company unless Hartlepool come up. We won't be playing them in, in the future anytime soon, so I won't have to rush back there.
0: Fair enough, thanks for that, Alex. Um, I've got a couple of points I've got from the uh, the highlights. Billy Sass, like you say, it was once he pulls him back, it's definitely a red card, isn't it? Uh, And I've seen a lot of people saying, yes, but he was fouled in the process, the leading up to that. And you can see a little bit of a tug um, on his arm. But when he gets a bit older and when he gets a bit more experienced he's not committing that foul, is he? I don't know, guys, if you've seen the highlights. Uh, You're you're either, what you see in the Premier League as a defender, if he feels that tug on the arm, they'll stop and throw their arms up and say, ref, I've been fouled. And 10 times out of 10, the referee is giving that foul because it's an easy decision to make.
1: You never want to be the ref who doesn't... It's like if the defender goes down and they run through on goal, there's going to be a whole clamour. The ref just gives it. It's a bit like... Do you remember the old Anthony Grant fall down, grab the ball? Yeah. He never... The ref never penalised him for handball because he grabbed the ball. He always got the decision. It's the equivalent of that. Maybe
0: there's an argument that, you know, Billy Sasser's inexperience counted against him then. But I'm hoping that's not the last time we see him. As I say, I think this is his make-or-break season this year for him. The other thing I noticed with the goal is, does a less technically able player make it look as easy as Calamani did? Because, you know, it's coming up high. It's a good finish.
1: I think that's a brilliant point, and I should have gone on it. I think he made a difficult finish look incredibly easy. Dale should have scored. Dale had all the time in the world to pick a spot, put it either side of the goalkeeper, and he hit it straight at him. And I think that's probably why the keeper sort of ended up powering it up in the air rather than away either side. If it was sort of further towards his left and he gets a hand on it, he'll push it out to his left or if it's to his right, he'll push it out to his right. Because it was quite central. He ended up pushing it up rather than away. But yeah, it come out of the sky and he just got a real clean connection on it. And it was through the keeper before he could move. It was a it was a really good finish. There was an argument that did he have time to take a touch, but you don't need one if you're going to finish it like that.
0: That's the sort of thing that uh, Callum Lee is really good at and we want to see more of. Um, lastly then, before we move on from the League Cup, obviously the draw has been made. Alex, I presume you're making another trip up the northeast to uh, Ellen Road in a few weeks' time.
1: Well, it's from release of this pod, it's meant to be next week. Um, so I could do with some details because uh, I'll have to do some... I've conveniently blocked the diary out as a private appointment for when I think the game will be so I can get away Tuesday afternoon and then have Tuesday morning off. But yes, I have done Ellen Road previously, but I'd still like to see us at a Premier League club. It feels like too good an opportunity to miss. I think it will be overlooked, but obviously it can spoil the coffers because let's say Ellen Road sells out, the gate money split half and half. So actually it could be a real little uh, money uh, money earner for us as well.
0: James and Russ, does that one sound a little bit more appealing than Hartley-Paul on a Tuesday night?
2: It does indeed. It's a cracking fixture after... Years of what seems like crap cup draws. Um, You know, it's really good to get a big name. Um, Really interested to see how we're going to play against them as well after seemingly struggling against Portsmouth high press. Um, I'm a bit concerned about how we're going to deal with Leeds. But, yeah, it's it's a cracking fixture. Really looking forward to it. Under the lights, it's going to be excellent. Can't wait.
3: There were a few good teams in that draw, weren't there? You had, like, Everton and... uh... Newcastle. Newcastle, yeah, I really wanted Newcastle. Absolutely no chance I was going to be able to get to Newcastle, but playing away at Newcastle would have been nice. Uh, I thought Leeds was probably probably the best one because it's a big ground. It's one that a lot of people might not have been to, but it's relatively close enough to make that journey for a lot of people as well. So, um, yeah, hopefully, we hopefully we uh, actually turn up to that one.
0: Alex, I'm going to give you five minutes off now. I'm going to ask James and Ross to tell us about their trip down to uh, Portsmouth on Saturday. Uh, you two were part of the three hundred plus fans who made the journey from crew. What were your thoughts on the game?
2: It's a long way, isn't it? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah it is it really
2: is <laughs> went in full of hope, thinking look we can we can hold them. I think Portsmouth on paper, maybe the squad wasn't quite as strong as it was last season um but the Cowley brothers have had some more time with them. So I wasn't quite sure what to expect from them, to be perfectly honest. Um, They came at us uh, with an extremely intense game. Um, They really pressed us high and sort of forced our hand into how we played. Um, We were getting caught in possession a lot in the first half. We were really lacking any composure. Um, So it was a really, really tough game. Um, but yeah, I went into it thinking we could hold them and maybe catch them on the break with Owen Dale, um, but that didn't quite
3: pan out. We were never really set up, though. To, well, we never tried to catch them on the break, really. Any time the ball went out to Ainley, he tried to take on too many players and then never passed it, really. Owen Dale had, I think, three touches of the ball before he came off. He was playing more as a left striker than he was a right winger for most of it. Um and then when you look at their team, they've got players that you just think oh, they're going to do well against us. You look, John Marquise is one of those strikers that you look at. I think he's he's going to score against us because he always does. So when when he did score eventually, um, it's no surprise that that first half, I thought we did deserve to go in 0 nil. I don't know if you agree, James.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, although Pompey dominated and had a couple of chances, one really good chance and a great save from Will. Um, that was a cracking save, that was. It was an un- unbelievable save. Point blank, and you can say it's almost straight at him, but he's made a really
3: good save. Reactionary, um, though, wasn't he? He had to. We've seen so many of those over the years where he gets contact to it, but it still goes in. But to get a strong enough wrist to get it away, I thought that was... So he's, I complained before kick-off that Dave Richards was unlucky, unlucky to miss out, but he sort of proved me a little bit wrong there. He might not have proved me wrong later. For that, that moment, I thought he did really well.
2: Yeah, it was a cracking save. And and like you say, I think, yeah, we, we were worth nil-nil at half time. Uh, we just about did enough to get there. Um, and then obviously, second half, you think, hold on for a little bit longer and maybe try and catch him out. Um,
3: but yeah, didn't quite go to plan, did it? We did hold on for a little bit longer, though, to be fair. Three whole minutes, so... <laughs> So from my point of view, watching it on telly,
0: um, I think Portsmouth, I would probably disagree. I'd say Portsmouth are probably going to go into halftime feeling a little bit aggrieved. Uh, I don't really think crew got out of their own half. Uh, I don't really recall crew making more than three passes in a move before it broke down on uh, Saturday. I had a lot of... Uh, responses online about how bad the midfield was um so it was a midfield three of murphy mcdonald lundstrom lot of people saying they're too similar there's no not enough creativity in there um they just didn't look on it did they the three in midfield yesterday
3: they were they were totally overrun at every point um and then when when we went to the the 4-4-2 and put sort of shoehorn Josh Lundstrom into a right midfield role, a bit like what we did with James Jones. He looked completely out of his depth there as well. And I thought, it makes sense trying to get four uh, three sort of more combative midfielders in for this tougher game. But having two and then a more creative player might have worked better.
0: But I... Personally, I think both of the goals came from midfield. If you look at the uh, where they come from, they're both coming from runners in the midfield that um, that the crew midfield haven't been able to keep up with, pace or awareness or positioning, I don't know. Uh, they were both set up by Ryan Tunicliffe and they both seemed to cut out the defence with the ball. Um, so I would probably go along with the fact that what I heard online, that these the, the midfield just didn't have a good game yesterday. Um, I wouldn't say they were the only ones. I just didn't think crew turned up yesterday. And it's quite disappointing because that's twice now we've been to Fratton Park since we've been promoted. And twice that I just don't really think we've given a great account of ourselves.
3: I'm looking at the uh, the stats right now and we had uh, less than 330 passes in the entire game, which if you compare that to the Cheltenham game, we had over 460. So that shows that already that we... We couldn't do the basics.
0: We didn't really pass very well in the Cheltenham game, so that's not yeah. not really, at, you know, the high point of crew. Exactly. So if it was Here, worse a real that, analysis then...
1: now, aren't we counting passes that we're making? Games? <laughs> yeah. Are you going to tell us how many entries into the final third yet? Next, Russell.
0: Uh, two. And how many bottles of rose
3: did you have on the way down, Russ? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> uh, an- another important stat though: sixty-seven percent passing accuracy. That. It's awful.
0: Yeah, it's not really what we know with Crew. Now, there's been a bit of a reaction online um, from Crew fans saying this is, you know, this is not good. We're going to get relegated. And then there was a reaction to this reaction that, you know, three games, one cup game, two league games is not enough. This is a new team. Lots of players have left. Um, It's definitely not time to press the panic button yet, is it? We've had three games. We've won one. We've drawn one. We've lost one. It is going to take a lot of time for us to gel this new team. It is a new team. If you look at the 2019-20 team that got promoted, that has gone. That squad doesn't exist at Crew anymore. Uh, it's going to take time, isn't it?
2: Of course it is. We've lost the core, as you say. We've lost the players that make the team tick. Um, last couple of seasons, let's be honest, vast majority of our chances have been coming in from Pickering and Kirk. Um, failing that, it's been Dale. Uh, and we know Wintle's always been sort of underpinning that anchor in the midfield um, making play tick over. So, yeah, it's going to take time. Um, you know, Dave isn't an idiot. He will have been watching that and will be fully aware that we need more bodies in. Uh, we probably need two wingers. We maybe need a centre back. We maybe need another central midfielder. Um, so he'll be aware of that. Um, it's definitely too early to start panicking about relegation or anything like that you know the team is going to need time and like Artel also, also pointed out in his post-match interview where we've got players like Lundström and Ramsey um, you know these are players who have very little competitive football league or any league action really so yeah it's going to take time uh, just got to be patient and I'm sure we'll come good
3: we, we clearly need a left winger. Everyone knows that. But I think when we get a left winger, it'll be a bit like buying one, getting two, because we'll then get Calamelli to free up and he'll go in the middle. And that'll completely change the dynamic of what we've seen so far this season, because he's so good in the midfield compared to what he is on the wing.
1: I think we need a right winger because I I think I'd prefer Owen Dale off the left. I think Dale off the left, cutting and driving towards the goal, cutting and driving towards the goal will be more of a threat than he is on the right where he sort of, trying to cut in onto his weaker left foot or try and hit that byline. So I think that's the way, if you can get someone who can play off the right and left footer off the right, it gives you the flexibility either way, doesn't it? You can have Dale on the right and then the left footer on the left, but that's what I'd be looking to get. If you can get, if you actually, I'll take that back. I'd be looking to get the best player who can either play on the left or on the right. Whoever's the most talented is who I'd get in. But if I had the choice and they were both of a similar level, I'd be going for the right footer off the left.
3: I think we need two anyway. Um, because we've only got one winger at the moment. So one that can play on both sides and then Dale can play on both sides and then one for the other side. And I think then we're set, really.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think the point is, and just to, to elaborate on that, we had Powell and Kirk last season in the squad. They've both left, so they need to be replaced.
0: That's this week's Games Looked At coming up. We'll have a look at the games up this next week. So in a little reminder of what it was like last season, we've got two league games coming up this week. We're starting with Tuesday and it's another trip away, uh, this time to Oxford. Um, They're a good team, aren't they? As much as we like to make Carl Robinson out to be the pantomime villain on this podcast and, you know, amongst uh, crew fans. They got to playoffs last year, second year in a row. Less said about the 6-0 home defeat, the better. It's going to be another tricky game, isn't it, Tuesday night?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. There's two sides so far away and with nothing really in common. There's clearly a dislike between the two clubs. And it's almost like without Paul Vale or Stoke in your league, I look at the Oxford game, I was like, I'd like to turn them over. They are a good side. They've been in the playoffs the last two seasons. You know, Carl Robinson is quite an esteemed lower league manager with the record he's got before him. I think he's done 600 games. I think I read that somewhere as a manager. So he's experienced and he's got his experience from a young age. Um, we've got to be on our metal, but, you know, I'm hopeful that we're still on our day capable of matching any side in the league. We've just got to find that performance. And it might be our day now is where we're solid defensively and clinical on the counter attack. We're not going to be able to sort of pass teams, not to death as such, but really pick our way through. We've got to be more incisive on the break and move ball quicker, but that's still a fan template for success, I think. So yeah, it should be a good, Good fixture. They don't, they don't hoof it. I don't, think, I don't think League 1 is that sort of league with the clubs you've got in it where there's going to be many sides hoofing it. Um. So we just got to make sure we do the basics right and give ourselves a chance. Preferably complete more than 330 passes with a better than 67% pass accuracy rate. That'll help, I think. Um, you
3: look across their squads and they've got talent everywhere really. Sam Winnell is a brilliant striker for this level. Cameron uh, Brannigan came through at Liverpool. He's a brilliant midfielder. So as Alex says, really, we've got to, we've actually got to do the basics right to to have any chance, really.
2: Yeah, I'm hoping they're not going to be too dejected from the Portsmouth game. Um, Oxford have picked up four points against Charlton and Cambridge, which is a decent start. But you know they're not beating really strong teams, so we we know we can compete with them. I'll be interested to see whether Thomas starts in central defence with either Luke Offord or Donovan Daniels. I think that might be a good opportunity just to throw Thomas in, to be honest, have a bit of a reset um, away from the home crowd. Maybe we're expecting to concede a couple against Oxford. Um, so I think it might be quite a good chance just to throw him in with Oxford will be my preference and just to try and
0: get back to basics first and foremost. So I spoke to Joe again from Oxford to give us his assessment on their season so far. Hi Joe, welcome back to the pod. Um, I believe this is your this is your third appearance with us. Yeah, I've got
4: the hat trick. <laughs> Good to be back.
0: Yeah, no football, I'm afraid. Uh, but yeah, thank you for coming on again. Um, we last spoke before the game at Gresty Road. Um, I'm not going to talk about that. I don't think anyone listening to this wants us to talk about that game again. Uh, but after that Oxford win, um, the season ended for you guys in the playoff semi-finals. Uh, was that a good season? Is that enough to satisfy the Oxford fan base? What was the opinion?
4: Yeah, I think so. I think especially considering how it started, I think after what, 10, 15 games. I think if you'd said we'd be in the in the playoffs and and, and at the time when we played you in the home game, I mean that was really the lowest of the low, really, that we we reached that season. I think if you said we'd be ending that season in the playoffs, you'd have thought, yeah, you know, you're just certainly snap their, their arm off. So, yeah, I think overall, I mean, back to back seasons in the playoffs, I think is is a tremendous achievement for a club that you know. Although we've we've got lofty ambitions, we're competing with some massive clubs in this league, especially this year as well. Now, um, so I think to get in amongst that top six to really cement ourselves as a as a serious contender in this league, I think is a is a is a really decent achievement. And um, of course, disappointing to to kind of fall at the final penultimate hurdle against Blackpool last time, and really felt like we they were a level above us, but I think with hopefully the signings we've made this year, we can hopefully push to go one better.
0: Okay. Let's talk about those signings then. Um, obviously we played Oxford last year. Who's still there? Uh, who's gone and then who's the new guys that have come in?
4: Yeah. So obviously always quite, quite a few departures. because We always seem to have uh, quite a few loans. So the loans have gone back. So when we were playing you, it was Brandon Barker's day that, that day um, at Gresty Road. And I think he, he's obviously gone back to, to Rangers. Um Rob Atkinson, the centre-half, he's obviously gone to Bristol City. That's the kind of sale. Um, we always seem to sell one of our assets a summer. This year, it's it was Rob Atkinson that went um, to Bristol City, which is a bit of a blow. But we have recruited pretty well, I think. Um, of course, I'm, I'm, I never like to get too excited because I like to see how they do first. Um, I like to see them in action. But I'm quite, quite optimistic of how we've done. Um, uh, the sort of main players we brought in, um we brought back Gavin White on loan who we had a couple of seasons ago from Cardiff we brought Nathan Holland uh, in on loan um Jordan Thornley's come in at centre half um to replace Rob Atkinson and yeah I mean I think they've settled in quite well um we had a few problems in pre-season with with uh with COVID and things like that but I think obviously as we recall record, recording on the Sunday and, and yesterday we beat Charlton 2-1, which is a great result. And it's, they seemed all of those signings seem to settle in quite well. Um, and all of them were, were impressing. And of course, Cameron Brannigan still here. People like that still here. Um, Elliot Moore, um, People like that, and as Steve said, and actually at left back, um, is an, another new signing that we brought in, and he really impressed yesterday. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're in looking in good shape. Whether we'll be able to to mix it with with the big teams, I think a serious competition this year. That's the only problem really is that's probably a lot more competitive this year than it was probably the last two seasons when we managed to get into the playoffs. But I think we're probably a little bit better than we were last year. Um Still a bit bit early to call, but I think we're in we're in good shape.
0: Okay, so you just mentioned good win for Oxford yesterday when we record this on Sunday. Um, How's the season started? It's gone okay so far, hasn't it?
4: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, we're traditionally very slow starters. So to get a win against a team that you would imagine to be challenging in Charlton in the first couple of games is a good start. We drew our first game at Cambridge, which was slightly frustrating because we played quite, actually played really well that day, I felt, and we should have won the game. Um, And there's a cup win against Burton in there as well. So, yeah, I mean, a a pretty good start. And as I say, we've managed to get players in relatively early. Um, We're not really looking for much more. We're looking for maybe a cover at left back and that's kind of it. You know, we've managed to get the bulk of our business done and they've settled in quite quickly, obviously, as I mentioned. A few players who've been here before, Gavin White, Nathan Holland, uh, Marcus McGuay, another signing, been here before. So managed to hit the ground running, really. And, yeah, it's been it's been a good start. Obviously, you never like to get too carried away after two matches of the season. But, yeah, I mean, it's looking quite positive. It's looking quite positive. And certainly the performance yesterday signals that hopefully we're going to be in front of the strong season.
0: So what are the, what are the noises coming out of the club then? Is playoffs the aim this year? Or is it a realisation that there are some big names in this league this year? It might be a bit trickier. What What's the aim?
4: Yeah, I think certainly from Carl Robinson's perspective, I think from 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 what he's hearing, I think um, what he's been saying. Sorry, uh, I think it's exactly that. I think we want to compete, and that's certainly going to be the target, of course, um, to to try and get promotion because we've been close the last two seasons. But yeah, I mean, you look at some of the clubs that have come down, some of the even the clubs that have come up, like Bolton. You know, there, there's so many massive clubs in this division this year, and uh, and the, and the clubs, of course, that were still there. You know, it was already a big league. You know, clubs like Sunderland, Ipswich throwing money about. I mean, the money in this league th- this year has gone up another level. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, there's a realization that, <clears throat> that it's going to be very, very difficult, probably harder than it's been the last two seasons. But we've, you know, of course, the, the target. Is, is to go one better and, and to improve on, on the last campaign. And, and an improvement on the last campaign would be to go all the way, I guess.
0: OK, Joe, final question then. Uh, last year saw two away wins in the Oxford versus Crew fixtures. Are you confident Tuesday night is going to see a change in that?
4: Uh, it would be difficult for me to, to not be confident of a home win this time, considering how, you know, the confidence and the kind of um, the good spirits that we're all in after, after yesterday's win um I think crew is always a you know' it's proved last season t- it's a tough game um I don't expect anybody in this league to be a, to be pushovers of course we're going to be confident and probably go in favorites but yeah I mean I, I we're hopeful I mean it's still early days in the season we're still getting to know these this team these players um I think of course we're going to go in confident after the win against Charlton but you know we're not going to get too too carried away yet I'm you know I feel quietly optimistic but yeah not going to be yeah, you know, you know, shout my mouth off saying we're going to win five, six nil against six, six goals again. Certainly not.
0: Okay. Thank you, Joe, for coming on again.
4: No worries. No worries. Pleasure as always.
0: So, a rare home game for August follows on Saturday when Atkinson Stanley are the visitors. Um, They've also, similar to Oxford, had a good start to the season. They've got one win, one defeat in the league, but they've also won in the League Cup. So again, they're going to come full of confidence on Saturday, aren't they, Russ?
3: They definitely are, yeah. The the, uh, the win over Cambridge was a good one at the weekend. I've seen uh, Harry Pell scored, and he is always a pesk because he's absolutely massive. And they uh, have they still got Michael Nottingham in defence? Yeah. Because he was just put a fiver on him to score because he'll probably do it. We... We don't always struggle against Accrington, but it's one of those teams that I think we we think we should beat and then they surprise us.
2: They're always going to be organised, well-drilled. Everyone knows their jobs. Um, so we know what they're going to bring. We just have to be as committed as them. Everyone knows their job and, and play our game and don't get sucked into anything um, because there's that opportunity there for the game to become... A
0: bit dirty, a bit niggly, maybe. So just need to be mindful of that. So, Alex, last season, uh, we beat them at home. They beat us at their place. Crew ended up in 12th. Atkinson Stanley ended up in 11th. They're a model of how it can be done surviving at this level. And I'd go so far to say as they, they've they got a smaller budget than the Alex. So we should be looking at what they do and, you know, not trying to mimic it, but learning from it, certainly.
1: Yeah, I think they're a, they're a good barometer for actually how they get the best out of their players and how they maximise their club to be successful as a league. I don't think we should do it the same way as them. I'm not sure that's necessarily the way to go. I think we are ones that sort of bring the academy players through. I'm not sure they've got that much of an emphasis on it. Um, But they're they're a prime example of how they maximise everything available at their resource, and that's what we should be looking to do as well.
2: I was reading this week that picked up, I think, six or seven players from Burnley, Liverpool, Man City and Blackburn. So they're really picking up those younger players that have either been released at 18, 19, 20 or on loans as well. They're really maximising and getting into that market as they always have done.
1: And I think that's something we have gone away from as a club a bit. There's very much been a focus on bringing the kids through the age groups. When you look at the Robbie Savages of this world, Uh, back in the day, they were released from a a big academy, came to crew, we nurtured them, gave them game time, gave them that platform, and then they kicked on again. I wonder whether that's something the club might when they get players from top clubs now, it's like they're they're the loneys, they're not cast offs. I wonder whether there's a there's a pool of talent that we're potentially not tapping into because the non-league market, everyone is looking for the next Jamie Vardy. You know, we were sort of ahead of the curve with that when we picked up players, but everyone sort of jumped on that bandwagon. So now you've got to find different ways of potentially recruiting players that could be good enough for the first team. And I wonder if that's an avenue the club might look to explore.
0: Um, I think you're onto something there, Alex. Um, mostly cruise transfers uh, over the last few seasons seem to have been the older experience pro to complement the academy players. Maybe, you know, that we're not looking at, like you said, other academy players that have been discarded and then bringing them on and then selling them on, just like an academy player. So we welcome back the Raw Milk podcast to give us their thoughts on the season so far for Accrington Stanley. So I'm joined now by Callum from the Raw Milk podcast. Callum, normally we have Josh, but today we've got the other half. So welcome to the show. Yeah, you're very uh, very fortunate to get an upgrade this week, I suppose, in a way. Sorry, Josh. Yeah, we'll hear your take on uh, how the season's going so far. Um, last year was uh, an Atkinson win at your place, a crew win at Grestie Road. You finished one point, one place above crew in eleventh. I guess you've got to be pretty happy
5: with that. Yeah, I mean it was our most successful ever season, uh, certainly since reformation. Um, and that's the irony, really. It was our greatest ever season uh, in which no one was allowed to, to go and watch. Um, we were a little bit unlucky, really, to to sort of fade away from the playoff back towards the end. A few sort of injuries and suspensions cost us, but. Overall, I'm, I'm one of those pessimists who says, you know, if you offer me fifth bottom on goal difference at the start of the season, I'll, I'll snap your hands off. So a great effort from the lads. Really good. So how has the season
0: started this year now that you are able to see them again?
5: I mean, we had a defeat at Wickham on the opening day. Um, always a difficult fixture. You know, they've just come down from the championship and, you know, Gareth Ainsworth, he's, he knows this league inside out. And uh, I don't know if it was stage fright or... You know, sort of the, the occasion got to us, but we, we seemed to freeze a little bit and uh, we lost 2-1, but it sort of flattered us in a way. We, we could have lost four or five, uh, in my opinion. Uh, then we picked ourselves up, went to Rotherham, won in the league, Cup 2-1. Uh, great win, hard place to go. And then we've just turned over Cambridge yesterday. So a uh, mixed bag. Um, but like I said, I think if you'd offered me three points after two league games, I probably would have taken them. So we'll see how we go. Excellent.
0: So obviously we we played Accrington Stanley last year a couple of times in the league. Who's gone? Who's come in? What are we going to see any different this year?
5: Yeah, so recruitment-wise, it's been a strange season because um obviously historically Accrington Stanley has been seen as sort of the the uh, the bargain basement of the football league and, and the vultures come swooping every year and pick up our star players for pennies. Um but obviously since Andy Holt's come in as chairman, the, the club's on a much better better financial footing. And uh, we're able to turn these offers down or if players do go, we, we do get a sizable amount for them. So in terms of departures, uh, Mark Hughes was a stalwart at the back, uh, legend, you know, legendary red. Um, at his age sort of 32, 33, it was a surprise to see him go to Bristol Rovers. Um, but like you say, it's it's a short career, so he's probably looking for a, for a, for a two-year deal and a, and a bit of extra coin. Um, in terms of... Um, leaving as well Cameron Burgess is, is r- rumoured to be pretty much on his way to Ipswich uh, in the next couple of weeks so that'll be a big big blow for us um, you know Australian Australian international um, it's been fantastic since he's been with us um, but in terms of recruitment we've, we've been excellent we've brought in Harry Pell from Colchester bit of a coup for us that really um managing to persuade him to, to sort of come up here from from Essex he's looked really really tidy a uh, young lad called Joel Mumbongo on loan from Burnley, who I know that several championship clubs were sniffing for him. So, you know, we've, we've done really well to get him. I'm excited to see how he turns out. Um, but in terms of recruitment, it's been more about keeping hold of the team. So we've kept hold of Matt Butcher, who scored two in two. Absolute Rolls Royce at this level. Um, I'm sure he'll, he'll move on for big money at some point. Um, and we've also sort of settled the goalkeeping situation because last year we had a Brilliant young goalkeeper called Nathan Baxter on loan from Chelsea, um, and when he got injured, it sort of derailed the season really. Um, so we've dug deep again, and we've got a lad called James Trafford on loan from from Man City, who looks uh, decent between the sticks. So the recruitment's been 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 fairly decent. And uh, Coley always likes to play the right way. He always likes to play attacking football, and it looks like we're going to continue with that again. And uh, the only thing that can hamper us really is the squad size. So if we stay injury free, we've got we've got a team that can compete with anybody. But. Uh, a small budget, small squad. We've just got to cross our fingers, really.
0: My next question was, you know, John Coleman's been there what seven years or so now, back in his second spell. He's not really changed his tactics, but you've uh, you've said they still the same sort of system. Mm.
5: Yeah, one um, of our, our, our old chairman Eric Waller used to used to like and call it to, to Kevin Keegan in terms of it, he'd, he'd gamble on one point to win you three, uh, which can cost you quite a few times in the season. Uh, but overall, he's a philosopher of philosopher of the uh, you know, draws kill you. school of thought. And they'll always gamble, especially away from home, which a lot of a lot of teams don't do.
0: Fair enough. OK, Callum, I'm going to ask you two questions and
5: I'll let you go. Uh, what's your prediction for the game on Saturday? It's a difficult one. It, it's always been a relatively happy hunting ground, Gresty Road. Um, so I'm going to go with a 2-1 sort of smash and grab Stanley win. Um, that's what my heart says. My head says I'd take a draw, but I'm going to go for a 2-1 Stanley win. OK, and then the other question I've got for you is... How
0: confident are you that you're going to see Accrington's most successful season now you are all back in the ground?
5: I think it's difficult because I think obviously last year was the most successful on paper. Mm. Um, and I think with the Crown Ground being as, as a small ground, the fans are close to the pitch. I do think it gives us an advantage, especially over some of the bigger teams who, who aren't used to playing at grounds like that. Um, but but on the flip side, I suppose if you're going to Sunderland, they've got the 30,000, 40,000 back in as well. So it sort of, sort of swings and roundabouts. But uh, I, I definitely think, you know, usually I say I'd take staying up and everything's a surprise. This year, I definitely think we'll, we'll finish top half. I don't think we'll be anywhere near relegation this year. So I'm going to go, I think we'll flirt with the playoffs and ultimately come around sort of ninth, tenth, something like that, really. Okay.
0: So another season of progress. Hmm, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Callum. Thanks for popping on. Brilliant. Thanks for your time. Take care. Right, let's now look at our new competition. Remember, it's all about guess the minute of the first goal now. Last week, uh, there were two games. Neil had a bit of a blinder. He He was five minutes out on Tuesday and then three minutes out on Saturday, meaning he averages four minutes out, which puts him joint top with Russ. Not such good news for Mark, whose average over the two games is 27, or Steve Bennett, whose average is 29 minutes out. Russ, uh, as joint leader of the competition after your one go so far, I'm going to ask you to start us off with the Oxford first goal minute, please.
5: Is it,
3: is it for either side, yeah? Yep. Okay, uh, we'll go the
0: 21st minute. 21st. James, you are currently fourth out of the six that have played so far with uh, 22 minutes out on your first go. What do you think for Oxford. I'm gonna go for the 39th minute, please. 39, and then Alex, your first goal of the new competition.
1: We will go a nice early goal in the 10th minute.
0: 10th minute, and then we'll reverse it round. Then Alex, if you go straight on
1: to Acklington Stanley, a cagey game between two sides who will probably find themselves in the lower depths of division means it will be a 65th minute strike that wins the game either way. And you get a score. You get a score prediction in there for free. So for yeah.
0: anyone who likes to gamble. James? 84th minute,
3: please. Leaving it late. And Russ? Um, I'm thinking second half as well. So I'm going to go early in the second half. We'll go 51st.
0: 51st. Okay. Lovely stuff. Right. We can't really finish today's episode without talking about some of the comings and goings from the club. Uh, this last week, we knew it was going to happen last week, but it's actually officially gone through now. Charlie Kirk has left the Alex. He's gone to CAFC in South London. Uh, good move for
1: him. Good move for the club. What do we think? I think I think he will be disappointed. And I think we as fans are disappointed he's not gone up a division. I think after how good he's been over the seasons, you felt like he deserved his championship move Like it, like NG's got like Wintle's got, like Pickering's got. Um, I think from a financial viewpoint, and it is a short career, it's a four-year contract. Charlton have obviously got a bigger wage budget for him, so it could set him up financially for a very long time. So you have to look at it from that viewpoint. People will be like, it's your career, it's your career, it's your career. You know, they're earning a living. It's a short career. And you've got to maximise it for what it is. So he goes with our best wishings. I think I speak on behalf of all, all fans in saying we wish it was to a championship club. I'm sure he'll get a good reception when he comes back later on in the season.
2: Charlie's provided some unbelievable moments in the past few years, some real special moments. Um, So, yeah, he's going to go with our best wishes and hopefully he's going to really push on and crack on and get another move or push Charlton into the Championship. Preferably another move so we get a nice little cheeky sell-on. But, yeah, you know, even if he wasn't everyone's cup of tea with... You know, sometimes his attitude on the pitch, it wasn't necessarily sort of a bad thing. It was just that he was a winner and he was getting annoyed with either himself or his teammates because they know how good they are and what they can achieve. So even if it wasn't everyone's cup of tea, he's been a really important player for us and he's provided some incredible moments. So, yeah, all all the
0: best wishes to Charlie. Just on that, Ross, before you jump in, have I ever told the story about how I was instrumental in the development of Charlie Kirk? I don't think so. So he's played uh, two and a half seasons by the time I went to go and watch him at Chesterfield on Boxing Day uh, 2017. I have told this. I think so. Uh, Said to the girlfriend, now wife, you know, Charlie Kirk can think he's as good as he wants to think he is, but until he starts working harder, he's never going to make it. As I said that, he is working hard to win the ball back for crew on the edge of their box. Breaks down to the, the other end of the pitch. Scores a goal, first for the club. Never look back. So, I mean, I've never been thanked, but I, uh, I, I don't am think you will it. get
3: thanked.
1: <laughs> I think, I think Charlie, I think there's genuine gratefulness for the club as well. Because if you look at the start of his crew career, he would not have been given that time at any other club. I remember a particular game at Exeter, and we were abysmal we lost 4-0 Charlie got sent off and he hadn't done anything in the first he'd be given a lot of opportunities but Artel came in saw the talent backed him to the hill and he's he repaid that that faith back in buckets you know he's given us some great moments I think number one on everyone's list would probably be that Oldham winner Um, but the, he, he, he and you saw it in his note I think he is he is grateful for it and I think He's a good reminder to some of the kids who think the grass is greener, and that's a particular particular reference to another player at the club. You, they'll they'll stick with you at this club through stick thick and thin. You don't get that elsewhere.
3: That Oldham winner was incredible. His equaliser against Port Vale as well, when um, George Ray was through and goal and then squared it backwards, and he Kirk still got it in was is right up there. That's the one with uh, Artel running down the touchline with his arms flailing. And I think those he's produced so many moments over the years that. It is really sad to see him go, um, but wishing the best of luck, especially with what's happened in his family recently. So um, hopefully he can uh, kick on with his career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't think many people are going to be begrudging of the fact that he is moving to, you know, undeniably a bigger club, although one in the same division. One thing I do want to talk about, though, is the fee. I don't think I'm alone. In fact, I know I'm not alone uh, amongst crew fans in thinking we aren't getting the value for these players that other clubs would get. Other clubs seem to be able to sell these players for much more money than we do. What is it that's holding us back, do we think? Do we know?
1: I think a reticent of players to sign these long-term deals, I think the club almost needs to really go into a mode where when you're 17, you sign a three-year deal and the club have an option of a two-year extension. It might be that we're not in a position to pay our academy graduates a bit more money because of the players that we bring in. We have to in, encourage them to come and join the club. But something has to change because uh, fundamentally, I don't think this is sustainable as a model if we're only going to get these modest fees. Now, if you get four modest fees, that ends up being quite substantial. But you're then reliant on producing that quality of player. And you're not going to be producing four championship players a year because if you did, you'd be playing in a championship more than likely. Um, so I think there's a genuine concern there, I think the precedent has been set previously and the club would rather stick in a release fee than lose a George Ray for a free, a Ben Garrett for a free, so they have these release fees. at least it's protecting the asset to an extent and the trade-off is you're getting more service from them, I think Charlie Kirk played what, 167 appearances? Could be completely wrong and then NG, you know over three-figure appearances the, the other way of doing it is you don't let us enjoy them for as long and you sell them for their potential. So let's say, for example, Onyeka comes in at Christmas, he scores 15 goals between Christmas and the summer. And then someone up the top goes, he could be the next best thing. We'll sign him for 2 million quid. We've only seen him for six months, but then we'll get that massive fee. And that's ultimately what what the bigger clubs will pay for. You know, almost NG, Wintle and Pickering were proven quality people will pay it. And it's like Bradford years ago, I think they sold some kid, 15-year-old kid for two million quid. Maybe we have to go down that model and say, right, we sell the players and the fans don't get to enjoy them as much, but they'll see other players for a longer period of time. I don't know, but I don't think it's sustainable in its current guys.
3: It's all about the release clause, isn't it? But also clubs know what our model is based around and clubs know that we need to sell players at some point so they can load ball us with an offer knowing that we're more likely to accept it if we haven't sold anyone since we sold George Cooper for Pittance.
0: So, James, would you say that this model that they currently have with the release fee to get these players to sign a bit longer, to stay a bit longer, play a few more games, is this the best of a few bad choices that the club has to deal with?
2: million dollar question
0: Um, or not as the case may be exactly yeah (laughs) it's a really really tricky one
2: um like we say it's finding that balance of what we can get away with to keep to keep the players long enough to have some success on the field or whether to just get rid of them sooner for potentially more money but yeah it's it's protecting that asset and like Artel said it's no one's going on a free we need to really protect them and get something back from them as well as their performances on the field we really need that financial um, bonus as well um yeah it's a tricky one but you know we can't we can't blame the players I don't think in these instances um, whilst we we think they need to give back to us and we've obviously invested a lot of time into them um, like Alex said it's a it's a really really short career and they need to maximise
0: their their income and their own aspirations to play as high as they can. So, I mean, I'll leave it there by saying what I said on Thursday, uh, that good luck. Thank you, Charlie, for all he's done. Uh, I'm sure he's going to go on to have a great career. One player that did come in this week then, this was quite a long-winded transfer saga, it seemed, is uh, Terrell Thomas, who's coming from Wimbledon. Now, like I did with the summer signings, I got in touch with the Wombles Had a Dream podcast and they sent me this back. Terrell Thomas is a centre-back who is adept at playing as part of a back four or three and is confident and brave in possession of the ball. He is often more likely to move forward with the ball into space rather than playing long passes. His positioning as a is of a good standard and he is also quick enough to not be beaten in a one-on-one foot race for the ball. The fact that he has two good feet means he can also slot in nicely on the left or right of a back three, which allows him to be underlapping or overlapping centre-back when required. He's very strong in the air and has shown his prowess in an offensive sense in the past by scoring headed goals from set pieces. That sounds superb, doesn't it? I was just going to say, I think his mum or dad's written that, but yeah, it (laughs) all (laughs) sounds...
2: All sounds unbelievably glowing and a perfect fit for us. Really, um, the only shame is that it's it's a one-year deal, and I think we all know that if he plays well, he's probably not going to be here next season. Um, we've all read reports about him being linked to Hull and Championship clubs, so yeah, hopefully he's going to get his head down, have a really good season, um, develop a really good partnership with Offord. I assume. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to seeing him in action
1: I wonder if it might end up, I think for starters that sounds a glowing reference um, why is he in League One would be my question if, he, if he's that good but we'll take him um, I wonder whether, there's the, whether there is the now thought if we don't get the wingers in that we want whether it will then be a transition to a back three because uh, I think we've got players that could play at wing backs um, and if you look at Daniels, I think Daniels would slot, slot in quite nicely as a right centre-half because uh, he's quite adept at playing right-back. And based on what we've read there about Terrell Thomas, you know, his two-footed Franco Beresi, he probably can play that left centre-half. an offered I, mean, I think, it's perfect just to sweep up behind him. He reads the game so well. He's comfortable on the ball. He can take it out of the back. And that means your aim leads, your finnies can stay in the side and stay centrally where they can affect it. So it'll be interesting to see if that leads to a change in formation or will give us the flexibility to change formation? Because I don't think we've got the players to play a back three at the moment, but with a centre-half who's comfortable and bringing the ball out, back will, you need that if you're playing in a back three, basically. So watch this space, I'd say.
0: I don't know, but I was the same as James. I've seen online that he was very, very close to signing for Hull in the Championship from what I believe, but that hasn't happened. Uh, he didn't really play any games after January last season. Uh, the guys at the Wimbledon podcast told me he was out Injured slash sick for uh, quite a bit of the last season. He played 25 games. So hopefully that's behind him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it sounds to me like we've got a tremendous defender who can play in what the crew way wants to be. And we're not hoofing it. We're coming out of the back with the ball and we're, you know, we're starting attacks from the back. Um, so I'm quite excited by this one. I do think we need a couple more. I'm hoping there's a couple more coming in. I've heard there's a couple more coming in, but, um, you know, fingers crossed.
1: I think I think we've all acknowledged the positions where we need those players in predominantly sort of wide areas. I think if we get two wide men in before the end of the window, if we could if there is some light at the end of that contract stalemate mate, with our creative midfielder, I think the squad's in as good a position as it can be considering the players that have left it in the past sort of six months.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that will do us for this week then. So Alex, James and Russ, thank you for coming on today you very
1: thanks, much. Thanks Thank for you. having me, Stu. I thought I'd done something I hadn't been on in so long. And whenever you have these specials, I get lumbered with Mawson McGarry. <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, it's just the fact you play cricket, Alex. I, I need someone who's around on a Saturday.
1: Fine, right, I'll be back from September onwards. Sh- uh, Shrewsbury away is in the diary already.
0: Perfect. Uh, so we'll be back next week to discuss the Oxford and Stanley League games. Until then, goodbye. bom 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 ba dang dang
1: dang 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 ding